Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. I want to invite Patty up. She's going to be reading for us out of God's Word this morning. And if you would, if you're able, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. If you don't know where the book of Malachi is, it's, it's the last book of the Old Testament. So go to Matthew and go left. And um, it's Malachi chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 12. Uh, Patty, I'll pass it off to you. Okay. Good morning. The scripture, as Darren said, Malachi chapter 3, 8 to 12. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have you robbed me? How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thanks, Patty. So when we jump into this text in Malachi, I genuinely believe for a lot of us, um, this particular set of verses takes an elephant and drops it right in the middle of our room. Um, One that a lot of times in the church we don't like to talk about, one we like to ignore, and that is the topic of tithes and offerings and giving and money. And I know all of you would have definitely been here early um, if you knew this was the topic today, right? Like, this is not something that we tend to love to talk about. And there's, listen, there's a lot of really good reasons for that. Um, We've seen a a lot of negative things within the church in regards to finances. I mean, many of you, many of us have seen uh, churches that have not stewarded funds well, where churches have used um, God's gifts or gifts that people have given to God's kingdom uh, to build men's kingdoms. Um, We've seen churches... Uh, leverage uh, giving as a way to exploit people in a lot of different ways where they say, hey, listen, like, I, I know you've got this sickness, and if you give uh, to the church, then God's going to hear your prayer, and he's going to heal you of that sickness. And we've seen all kinds of abuses and challenges, and all that's real and all that's true. It's not true of this church. And it's not true of the leaders of this church. And listen, um, we can tell you about all the things we have to make sure that there's integrity and accountability. Uh, We can tell you that, listen, for all the members of this church, like our finances are an open book. Like You can go talk to Neil Haig, who is our our finance director, and you can get all kinds of information about how money is spent from this church. But here's the thing. That's not what we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about is what his word says on this topic. Because his word has a lot to say about this topic, doesn't it? His word has a lot to say about money and how we use money and and how that attaches to our hearts. And so if we as a church want to be a church that's faithful to his word, we have to be faithful to all of his word, not just the ones and the parts of his word that make us comfortable. And the fact of the matter is, most of the time when we start talking about money, it tends to make us uncomfortable. From the youngest of generation to the oldest of us. But we want to hear his word this morning. We want to hear his voice. And really, that's the question today. Because there's lots of reasons why you could justify why this isn't a sermon for you. 
But the fact of the matter is it's his word and he's given it to us. And the real question as we move forward is, will we listen to his word? Not will you listen to Darren's word, but will you listen to his word? And will we be a faithful people in regards to his word? And so with that being said, and with just an understanding of the challenges that are before us, I want to just go ahead and pray and then jump into Malachi. Pray with me. Father, I know that there's some in this room that they're like, oh man, they're talking about money today. And there's all kinds of things that come up and, and, and frustrations or fears or concerns or maybe just the desire to be like, I just don't want to hear about this. But Lord, this is the word that you've chosen to give to us. You have revealed this to us. And it's a massive part of our lives. So Lord, my prayer this morning is one, that you would help me to be just faithful to you and to your word and to your message. And Father, that there's anything that I speak that is not of you, oh Lord, let it be forgotten. But Father, those things that, that are of you and those things that are of your word, Lord, would our hearts be soft to hear them? Father, would you make our hearts soft to hear them? As you probe and by your spirit work on an area that oftentimes we just kind of make off limits. And so Lord, I want to pray that you would help our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you would have for us. And the Lord, we would listen to what you would say to us in your word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it doesn't always just say what we want it to say, but it presses us even in areas that make us uncomfortable. May we be open to it. May your spirit work in us. May he guide us to truth this morning. We pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. So in the book of Malachi, God gives this pretty scary accusation to his people. And you think about how scary this accusation would be if you are a member of God's people. And you just imagine that you're standing before the living God, Yahweh, the one who created all things, and he looks at you as his people, and he says what he does in verse 8. He says, will man rob God? You are robbing me. Like that's, that's an aggressive statement. Like I imagine that if God said that to us in his presence, like that would generate all kinds of fear in us, and, and we would probably respond in much the same way that the people of Israel did in the book of Malachi, which is this in the second half of verse 8. How have we robbed you? Now, wait a minute. We haven't robbed you. Like, God, we're not guilty of this. Like, we would, we would never rob you. Like, we haven't gone into heaven and taken your crown off your head. Like, we've not gone in and taken things and jewels out of your throne. And, and we've not gone into the temple and taken the vessels out of the temple and, and stolen those things. Like, how have we robbed you? How are we guilty of robbing you? And this is a huge question, right? Because this is a massive accusation. But the way God frames this is he tells us that they're guilty of robbing him because they're not bringing in the tithes and the offerings into the temple. But that's not where we're going to start. Where we need to start is what generates this whole question in the first place. And, and where it starts is that right before this in verse 7, when the people say to God, as he says, if you return to me, I'm going to return to you. And they say to him, they say, how can we return and basically, God says, you can return to me by stop robbing me. You know, that is the kind of the antithesis to robbing. Like the opposite of robbing is giving. The opposite of robbing is returning. And we need to start there to be mindful of a desire to return to God. Why is that so important for us? 
I think it's so important for us for multiple reasons. But one is that it's a recognition that it's his. And you say, what's his? All of it's his. Like, all of it's his. Like, there's nothing that's out of the category of his. Like, when we talk about giving and we talk about tithes and offerings and giving of our wealth, like, this is not some situation where we're helping out a needy God. Right, where he's sitting up in heaven and he's watching his bank account drain. I know y'all are used to seeing that. And he's going, oh man, like if my people would just give more, like my bank account could get refilled. Like that's not the case. Everything is his. Anything that you give God wasn't yours to begin with. And that's the point. Giving is an acknowledgement that it's his already. You're returning it to him. You're acknowledging that it came from his hands in the first place. You're returning it to him. To take from his hand breath and life and strength and rain and produce and everything that comes from the hand of God. To take from his hand and then be unwilling to return what he asks us to return is an act of robbery. That's what he says. That's not what I say. That's what he says. Because it's a declaration that you think it's yours. It's a declaration that you think that it didn't originate from him in the first place. Like, it's a heart issue for us. Where we're looking at the things that we have, the resources that are in front of us, and we're unwilling to return those back to him. But God says, if you aren't willing to return them, it's robbing me. And you say, well, why does it matter to him in the first place? Well, it is an issue of acknowledgement. It is an issue of our hearts. But also, we are told in Malachi chapter 3, that by giving back to the Lord and returning back to the Lord, it brings us into participation with his work, what he wants to do, his purposes. Verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Why? That there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. It says, bring it into the house. Why? So there's provision. See, God's calling us to be a part of his work to care for the needs of the poor, to care for the needs of the widow, to care for the needs of those who are caring for the church and for the people that are caring for the temple. Like this is his design and his intent to bring us and make us a part of his work, a distribution in his name for his glory in all the world and all the nations. The expectation is that we return to him for his work, For the glory of his name, first, not last. Not leftovers, but the first 10% of any resource that comes into our possession. The people of God, at that time, they were being poor stewards. They were acting in pride. They were acting in self-dependence. They were acting in ways that would lead them to forget God's hand of provision in their lives. And it was emptying his storehouse. A storehouse that he intended for his glory on earth and his purposes on earth. Now this is the intent behind giving. The intent behind giving is that we return back to God what is already his. That we give to God what is already his. And real quickly, some might say, well, this is an issue of the law. 
But it's not an issue of the law. Before the law was ever given, Cain and Abel gave of their first fruits. Before the law was ever given, Abraham gave of his first fruits. And after Jesus fulfills the law, we see the church for centuries giving. In fact, the earliest aspects of Acts, you see the church selling everything they have and laying at the feet of the apostles. Like this is for us now, today, in this moment. Because it's a heart issue of being willing to return that which God has given And so I hope that we see that reality. I hope that we see that truth in God's scripture and that if we ignore that, we're going to be guilty of robbing God. And I don't think any of us want that, amen? But God also tells us how we give matters. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is the New Testament, and it tells us what God loves. He doesn't love someone who's like, oh man, I guess I have to give because if I don't, you're going to be mad and and accuse me of robbing you. He wants a cheerful giver. And so what I want us to look at is I want us to look at what cheerful giving looks like and where that comes from, because ultimately the scripture tells us cheerful giving can only come from one place. Any guesses? The heart. Cheerful giving can only come from the heart. As believers, we have been given not only resources, but ultimately we've been given salvation. So ultimately, what happens in our heart does come from the Lord, but we've been given salvation. And 10% is not just the beginning, or it's, it's not just the, the, the ceiling, but it's the floor of what we should do out of a recognition of what God has done in us. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what Jesus does is he redeems us, He delivers us, he saves us, and he should become our treasure. Our number one treasure. Because our heart should be with him. And so for us now, all giving comes out of a heart that recognizes that our treasures, not in green paper money, but our treasure is in the savior of our souls and the one who can lead us into an abundant life, even in this life, and certainly raise us in the next life. Amen? And so how do we do that? How do we move forward? What does, what does the characteristics of a cheerful heart look like? Well, let me give you a couple of things. And here's the thing. Maybe you're in this room, and you're somebody who already gives, and you love to give to the Lord. But these, opportun- these things that we're about to mention are opportunities for us to examine even our own hearts and say, like, am I giving from the correct motivation? Am I giving from a heart of these things? Is this the root of my desire to give? Because I think we can all look in the mirror at that. But a cheerful giver is one who has a heart of honor. As your savior, your creator, your sustainer, your strength, your joy, your shield, we should desire to honor him with everything. Proverbs ties this directly to our wealth. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor Yahweh, the Lord, with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. I think the temptation for a lot of us is to say, well, I love to honor God. 
but I like to honor God with my time and my talents. I don't really want to honor him with my money. He doesn't need that anyway, right? And we kind of pick and choose what it is that we want to honor God with. But here's the reality of it. And even if you look into Proverbs and you understand what is meant by wealth in Proverbs, it's everything. Everything. Everything you have is wealth given from God. The clothes on your back is wealth. The strength you have in your arms is wealth. Like the, the strength you have in your mind is a wealth. And, and all of that should be used to honor him. How can we say, I won't honor him with the money in my pocket, but I'll be faithful to honor him with everything else? The Lord's clear. Like we cannot serve two gods. We can't serve both God and money. Like that's not a reality for us. We're to honor him with everything. And here's the thing. If we look at our lives as an opportunity to bring God honor in everything that we have, in all of our resources, then when we give and that brings glory to God, then that should make us cheerful because we want to see him honored. We, we take joy and delight in seeing him honored. Like I got joy and delight in hearing the testimony from Isaiah because we saw God honored. And that should make us cheerful. We should also have a heart of preeminence. First place. Many of you know we're to seek first the kingdom of God before our own. The reality of it is most of our world sees wealth as a resource, as a way to fulfill our pleasures, our goals, our security. And listen, some of that's not wrong. Proverbs 21 speaks very clearly of the foolishness of a man who devours everything, right? So a man who doesn't save anything. Proverbs says, like, you're, you're a fool. And, and so the issue is not, do we care for some of our own things? That's not the issue. The issue is one of preeminence. What takes first place? What takes first place in your life? See, the people of Israel, again, are a great example of not having the right heart. In the book of Haggai, we're in Malachi and Haggai today. What a great day. Look what he says in, verse, in chapter 1. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And you, when you brought it home, I blew it away. So see what God's saying? It's like, you're out there looking for more. You want more. And the more you, you want, it doesn't come to anything. And in fact, when you do finally get stuff home, I blow it away. And why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Listen, let me be really clear. Being concerned about your home and your life is not wrong. Being concerned about your home and your life before his purposes and his kingdom is wrong. He is to take first place. He is to take first place in all of our decisions and, and, and even the ones that deal with the little pieces of paper in our wallets. He is to take first place. And when you're seeking him first and his name and his purposes and those things get, again, he's, he's exalted, then you can be joyful when you see him go forward and his name go forward. Next is to have a heart of humility. I don't know if you've ever seen 
the movie, uh, James Stewart's movie, um, Shenandoah, but uh, Neil brought this to our attention in our teaching team. And in that movie, uh, he prays a prayer at Thanksgiving in his family that I think is a great illustration of how many of us view wealth and how many of us view the things that we have. Let me just read James Stewart's prayer in that movie. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. We cooked the harvest, and it wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord. Isn't that a lot of us? Like, we would never really pray that prayer because we know how bad it sounds, but like, that's the way we live our lives, right? Like, like I did this. Look at what I built. Look what I've done. Look, man, I went to school and I got a good education and now I'm a CEO or a CFO. Like, look what I've done. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded that is pride in believing we have anything or any ability in our own to make or, make or create wealth. Scripture is abundantly clear. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. It's he who gives you power to get wealth. So those muscles that you have that allow you to do the work was given by him. The intelligence that you had to be able to get those good grades in school and have a high IQ and be able to run a business and know how to do that, that came from him. Your ability to play an instrument comes from him. Your ability to draw on that piece of paper comes from him. He gives you the power to do those things. Like, there's people who don't have that power. He gave it to you. And you've used it, and you've been able to make wealth because it came from his hand. We should never act in pride, but in constant humility, recognizing that all of our abilities come from the hand of God, and should they not be returned to him? Like, this is for you? Like, this is what you've given to me? We need to have hearts of humility. We also need to have hearts of thanksgiving. When we are given something we don't deserve, when we are blessed beyond measure, when mercy and grace are bestowed upon us, shouldn't we want to give thanks? I mean, just think about what happens when someone does something wonderful for you, beautiful for you, kind for you. They volunteer for something or they give you something. or something. Like, you want to give thanks to them. What's the most natural thing that we do to show someone we're thankful we give them something, right? You give them a card with a little note inside of it. You, you give them some, some flowers. You give them a little gift card. Uh, maybe you give them a special gift on their birthday. But it's a natural response for some of us that when someone does something that we want to acknowledge and give thanks for, that we give back. Why would we not do the same for God? When he's actually said, this is a way you can honor me. And so for us, we can give out of cheerfulness when we look at the blessings that God has given to us and we're thankful. And you may say, well, I'm not that thankful for all the things that I have. Listen, you've got breath. You all got clothes on. And you know what the greatest thing is? You have salvation. Like you have salvation. He gave us grace when we did not deserve grace. When we were his enemies, he died for us. Should we not be thankful? And one way we can show that is by giving of our finances. Next, 
A cheerful giver is one who has a heart of trust. Of course, that trust starts in a place where we think of, of provision, right? Like if I, if I give, Lord, out of my resources, I have to trust you that you'll provide for me, that you'll take care of my needs, that you'll meet my needs. But there's also a trust that he'll be faithful to his word. Remember what we read in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. You know, that's the only place in Scripture the Lord says put him to the test. He says this, If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Listen, this text has been abused in the church for years where many people have said, hey, listen, if you give the church $10, God's going to give you 12 Listen, there's no promise for that here in this text. You know what he promises? He promises blessing. Now, might that be material blessing? Sure. But you know what? It might also be the blessing of his presence. It might also be the blessing of joy. It might be the blessing of contentment. It might be the blessing of seeing his work happen in someone else's life. It might be the blessing of seeing someone else be blessed. There's all kinds of ways that God blesses his people that doesn't come back down to dollars and signs. And this also calls us to trust him. Right? Verse 11 even says that he can keep the devourer away so your car may not break down for 20 years. He can bless all kinds of different ways. But I love Proverbs chapter 30, verse 3, or verse 8 and 9, because there's a prayer in Proverbs chapter 30 that remind us that not only do you trust him for his provision, but we also need to trust him to know how best to bless us. Look what he says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, in your generosity, God will give. He says, test him in it. He will bless. The question is, do you trust him to know how to bless you? Will you put into his hands and say, God, don't give me too much to where I'll forget you, but, but don't give me too little where I'll be tempted to despair and doubt. Like, give me just exactly what I need. Like, are you willing to trust him to know that he's going to bless you exactly the way you mean? Meaning this, if he doesn't give you more financial wealth, maybe it means that could be a stumbling block for you. Right? He knows how to bless you, but he's still going to be faithful to his promise. I don't know if you've ever heard of a monkey trap um, in a lot of parts of the world. There's uh, this way of catching monkeys where they take like a coconut or something similar to that and they, they drill a hole in the coconut and then they'll like attach it to a tree or something like that and they'll hollow out the coconut and they'll put something like a piece of fruit in there and the monkey comes along and he'll reach inside of the coconut and he'll grab the piece of fruit. But there's something inside of the brain of a monkey that once it's got hold of that fruit, like it won't let go and so his hand gets trapped. He can't pull it back out of the hole. And so they can catch the monkey. We oftentimes are like the monkey. Aren't we? 
Like we run around and I've got this little jar here full of just all kinds of money. Right? And we look at the world around us and we look at all the resources we have and we look at them and we're like, man, like I, I need that. And so we reach in and we grab it and we hold it. But man, once we've got it, like it ain't coming off. Like, and we're trapped and we're enslaved. And the Lord says, hey, like, let go of that. Like, I've got a way to bless you. And you're like, man, I, I just don't trust you. Like, I think that what's in this jar, I think what's in here is more important and more valuable. And it's going to bring me more life than what you have. And so we keep our hands clenched around the resources, hoping and believing that what's in here will bring us life. And the fact of the matter is I've got to get my hand out, right? Because it's actually tight. The fact of the matter is God's saying, like, man, like, like let go. Like, like you, you can't get my blessing. You can't see my hand work. You can't see. If you're enslaved to trusting in your resources and your money over me. If you're saying, man, I, I'm going to hold on to this because I just, I'm afraid that if I let it go, I'm not going to be able to pay my debt. But what are you saying about your debt? That you don't trust that God can help you with that. Like God is saying, like, let go. Let me bless you. Let me lead you to life. Don't hold your hands so clenched, so tightly clenched around your resources, resources that aren't even yours in the first place, that you miss being able to be in the presence of God and trust him. And brothers and sisters, find freedom from being stuck and tied to your resources. Next, the heart of a cheerful giver is one who has a heart of love. We are to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, our whole soul, and mind. Men, I don't know how many of you have daughters, but I'm guessing if you have a daughter, that if your daughter came to you and said, yeah, I'm dating this new guy, and um, I really like him, and he's fantastic, but you know what? Like, he, he, never, he, he never gives me anything. Like, Valentine's Day has come, didn't give me a gift. My birthday came, he didn't give me a gift. He never buys my movie tickets when we go out. He never pays for my meal. I know this is like super chauvinistic of me, right? Like he, doesn't, he doesn't do any of those things. And when I talked to him about it, he just looked at me and says, oh, I'd like to show my love to you in other places. Like, don't worry about that, right? Most of you, if your daughters came and said that to you, what would you say? Run for the hills, right? You'd be like, you don't have this guy's heart. Like, I don't care what he tells you. You don't have his heart. If he's not willing to give to you, if he's not willing to sacrifice for you and, and give of you, like how, it doesn't matter how much he says he loves you. He doesn't really love you. Like for us to show love to the Lord is a way to return back to him what it is that he's blessed us with because of so much that he has given to us. Because he has given us so much, hasn't he? Could we ask him for more when what he's really promised us is an eternal life with no suffering or hardship or need ever again. So the question is, do you love Jesus? Is your love one that only wants to receive from Jesus, but you're not willing to give anything to Jesus? Because that's not love. Do we love Jesus? And I hope as you look at these things, you say, man, like, I want to be someone who gives with a heart to desire, honoring God and, and putting him first in my life and, and a heart of humility and thanksgiving and trust and love. And if that's the case, 
Like, how then should we give? Right? Like, what does that look like for us as the church? Like, how do we step into that faithfully? Well, here's some practical things on how we can give. First, we should give to that which is eternal. Let me ask a question. How does your checkbook extend the kingdom of God? No, I'm sorry, your debit card. Because like two of you use checkbooks still, right? Not, not how does it extend your kingdom, but how does it extend God's kingdom? Like if someone were to look at all of the purchases that you make in, in a month um, from your debit card, would they see anything eternal there at all? And listen, going to McDonald's, that's not sin. Like, that's good. You need to eat. Like, going to Dylan's, it's all good. Buying gas, all that stuff is good. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but is there anything eternal there? And again, I, I want to be clear. Like, it's not bad for us to focus on the needs of our lives, but we shouldn't be giving God our leftovers. When people look at our finances, they should be seeing that what we want to see is the eternal. We're putting our treasures in the eternal. We're investing in the internal. So how should you give? You should be giving to that which is eternal. And people should be able to see it. Second, you should give by the leading of the Spirit. You know, you're never going to know what He wants unless you ask. Spirit, how do you want me to, how, how do you want me to give? I think the fact of the matter is a lot of times we get so concerned about how, or like, um, should we do something that we actually never do something? And so you should be asking, Spirit, lead me, guide me, help me to give, help me to be generous, help me to be free-handed with my resources, the ones you gave to me. And so if you're in the grocery store and you feel the Spirit of God say, hey, you should pay for the person's groceries that are behind you, like don't play the justification. Well, I, I don't know if that was God. What if that was just me? What if that was just my heart? What if I just thought that off of a whim of myself? Because, you know, we're all doing that, Right? But we've all played that game. But let me ask the question. In anything like that, can you imagine you going like, I, I think that was the Spirit of God, so I'm going to go ahead and buy this person's groceries, and then you standing before the judgment seat of God and God going, you remember that time in line? That wasn't me. Shame on you. Like we laugh because we know it's not true, and yet we'll justify not doing something like that. Because we want to be in his will. When is it ever not his will to give him glory? When is it ever not his will to meet a need of somebody else? You see what I'm saying? Like, but we can also be a people who constantly ask, Spirit, guide me. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, how should I give? How should I use my finances to bring you glory? Should I give to this missionary? Should I give to this organization? Should, should I give here or give there? Ask and seek. He will answer you. Amen? Second, or third, how we should give, we should give in a way that costs. You know, if you make $50,000 a year, a tithe on that is $5,000. That's my math skills. That's where they stop. But here's the thing. I think you should be mindful of what you can't do if you give that $5,000. I think you should be mindful of the vacation you can't take. 
I think you should be mindful of the car you can't buy. I think you should be mindful of the work in your house you can't do with that $5,000 so that when you give it, it's a worshipful experience where you say, God, you're more important than those things. You take preeminence in my life over those things. And you know what else happens really, really deep in our hearts? If you were to look at your income and you were to say, I'm going to give 10% of my income, if you feel resistance in your heart where you say, oh man, like I don't know if I want to give this $5,000 because I'm not going to be able to go to Hawaii. Do you know what you just had revealed? An idol. You just had an idol revealed in your heart that says you'll be happier if you go to Hawaii than you will if you spend and give glory to God through your finances. And we need that, don't we? Like sometimes we need to see the costs so we can see the idols in our lives and have those revealed to us. Otherwise, they just go on and they just stay rooted deep into us. And so God has given us the the gift of giving so that we can see and His Spirit can reveal idols in our lives. I think this should even start, even if you're somebody who's in debt, and you say, okay, I'm going to start to give a little bit as a means of trusting him as I work on getting debt, because God does not want you in that space. But we need to start with the right heart first. I love David in the book of Chronicles. Many of you know the story. In, in chapter 21, uh, David takes a census of the people, and, and, and God basically sends a plague to the people, and they start to die. And, and then God stops the plague at this mountain. And so David wants to thank God for that because of his sin. And so David goes up to the threshing floor on the top of this mountain, and, and he, he looks to Ornan, who owns that threshing floor, and, and he says, I, I want to buy this. And he says, no, no, let me give it to you for free. And David's response is, should I give to God something that costs me nothing? Like David understood, like to truly make it an offering of thanksgiving and heart, an expression of his heart, it needed to cost him something. And brothers and sisters, the reality of it is, the cost to our bank accounts is nothing compared to the gift that he's given to us. Nothing. Next, give to God through the church. Some of you might be going, yep, there it is. They just want my money. And hey, listen, I know that's the justification that a lot of people use, but here's the thing. Like, in the book of Acts, when people sold their things for his glory and for his purposes, they brought it to the leaders of the church to steward that. The local church, led by God-fearing elders with transparency and good stewardship. Listen, if you don't like it, it's not my idea. It's God's idea. And if you say, well, I don't trust the church, then you know what you need to do? You need to go talk to your church, and you need to look at what they're doing and make sure that they're having integrity and good stewardship. And if they prove to not be doing that, then you should go somewhere else. But this is God's design. And you know what's beautiful about doing it the way God designs it? Is that when we do it the way God designed it, it allows God's people to do way more together than we could ever do alone. We're sending our people to Kenya. And in Kenya, here in just a couple of uh, weeks, they're going to get to go see um, a, a fence started around a school that we've helped fund. And if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but um, that fence cost $35,000 to build. That came from this church. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, listen, 
Some of you all could write a check for $30,000. I couldn't. But here's the thing. We can do way more together than we can ever do alone. And as a result, as the Lord brings more resources into God's church, we can do more ministry. We can, we can help keep this building um, up and running so that we can have VBS and we can have the hundreds of schools, or, or the hundreds of, not hundreds of schools, David Landis just had a panic attack. He's like, no more schools. But we can have hundreds of kids in our schools being discipled by, uh, by godly people. Like we can give to the poor, we can give benevolence, we can give to ministries that are seeking to proclaim the word of God. Like we can do so much for the glory of God. His helping hands ministry, there's so much. So we give to the church. I wrestled with how to close this sermon. Because in the end, on one hand, I want those who are faithful and you're giving, I want you to be encouraged and I want you in your hearts uh, to be pointed back to what the heart of a cheerful giver should be. And that you walk away here this morning being like, man, I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to be someone who seeks to honor God and put him first in my life and to do all those things. Like I want that to be true of you. And on the other hand, I also want those that have never stepped into that because of fear or because you just don't think it's important or you don't think that you should have to or maybe you don't feel like, uh, like I don't know, like, like you want to. I want you to prayerfully consider what God might be leading you into. Prayerfully consider what he asks of you and ask, why would you not? What's keeping you from it? Is it that you don't want to honor him? Is it that you want to rob him? Is it that you don't want to return to him that which he's given to you? Like, why would you not? And I really wrestled with how we wanted to close in this because I want to give an opportunity for us uh, to, to maybe act on that. But at the same time, I don't want to allow us taking an offering in this moment to be a distraction. And so we're not going to do it. And so if you're somebody here this morning that says, I want to step into this today, man, you can do that. Like, there's ways to give to the church this morning. Uh, the little black boxes on the way out the door. You absolutely can do that. But I want you to go home, and I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Lord if this is something you should step into. I want you to, to, to look at your own heart. And then come prepared next week. Because we're going to start taking up offering again in our services. We stopped doing that back before COVID. Right? Because we were all scared we were going to get sick when we passed the plates around. Well, we're going to start taking up an offering again. And, and there's a few reasons why. And I want, us, I want to shepherd us in why we're doing that. One, it's a worshipful moment. If you are not giving as an act of worship, an act of love, an act of desire to honor God, you shouldn't be doing it. And you should be looking at your heart, Right? And it's a great opportunity for us to worship Jesus together. Two, it's an opportunity for us to pray over those funds that God would be faithful and use them and that we would be good stewards of those. And three, and maybe the most important thing for me, is that we would be forming our young people to see moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas with hearts of love and worship and joy give to the Lord. That they could see it and they could participate in it, that they could be formed in what God has called us into and see the joy in that. I grew up seeing that, and it was just part of life for me, and it was part of seeing God work. So I want to really encourage you this morning as we leave today,
that you ponder, that you take these things, that you pray about them, please grab the blue sheets. It's got a lot of this stuff on there in terms of takeaways to help you be mindful of this stuff. But really pray about what the Lord would call you into in the coming days, in the coming year. We're going to close our time. Ryan's going to come out and he's going to lead us in one last song. And it's the best song for this topic. It's a reminder of where every single one of our blessings come from. Come thou fount of every blessing. Not come thou fount of some blessings. Come thou fount of every blessing. He is the source of every blessing we have. And as we sing this song, like I, I just want you to, I pray that that encourages your heart, that you can cheerfully and joyfully sing that song and be reminded that everything you have, every moment you are alive, every breath you take, every time the Chiefs get to win and go to the Super Bowl, like all of that, those are blessings. That's not a blessing, but I'm just teasing. They're all wearing jerseys around here. I couldn't, so I had to throw something out there. But, but, but be reminded, every blessing you've got, seriously, the blessing you have to be able to watch the game and eat good food and spend time with your family, like those are all from God. All of it is from his hand. And he is a good giver, isn't he? He is a good gift giver. He's the best gift giver. And so I hope that as we sing that song, that the Lord would encourage you to be mindful of all that he's done. Father, I thank you for your word. I'm thankful that it forces us to deal with issues that we would, we would probably tend to keep hidden away. It, it forces us to look at ourselves in ways that we tend to not really like. And when it comes to money, like it, it's one of those things that we just get squeamish about. And, and I know the reasons because it's so tied to our hearts. Father, free us from it. Free us from it in such a materialistic world where we can be free to seek your kingdom first. Father, free our hearts that we might be content in you. That we might be able to find the secret of contentment. As Paul says, to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, we want to pray that you would help us to be mindful of every gift that you give us. Lord, so I pray that you would hear our song. Father, that you would hear our thankfulness and our declaration that you are the source of all things. I pray these things in your name.